Michael, did you know that the contents of the law report are meant for educational purposes only? They're no. not meant to be misconstrued as medical diagnosis or treatment advice? What? Seriously? Mm-hmm. Today on the Lab Report, Laura Ligos. The sassy dietitian. Would you call me sassy? Mm, I've seen you sass once or twice. The world of medicine can be challenging. Clinicians and patients are always looking for more options, more effective treatments, and in the end, more answers. Functional and integrative medicine focuses on addressing root causes of disease. Here at Genova Diagnostics, we've watched this field evolve and grow for over 35 years. We've not only adapted, we've led. Join us as we talk about functional medicine, laboratory testing, and optimizing health. Welcome to the Lab Report. So, I mean, we're driving across, and I don't normally look both ways crossing train tracks. Are you kidding me? I always do. Really? Why would you not do that? You would assume you know a train's coming. (laughs) Hello! Hi, Michael Chapman. How are you? Patty Devers, I'm great. How are you? Crushing it today. Nice, nice. Uh Well, hey, if you're crushing it, that means you're here. (laughs) Or flip that. If you're here, that means you're crushing it. Either way, it works. Okay. Thank you for being here. This is The Lab Report, a podcast brought to you by Genova Diagnostics, where we talk about things like functional medicine, specialty lab testing, integrative therapeutics, and the like. And if, if you like, you this, like this show, you should go to iTunes or Spotify, maybe rate, review, subscribe, leave us some stars there. Thank you so much for returning and welcome if you're new. Absolutely. And if you have feedback, you can send that feedback to podcast at gdx.net. That's our email address. So then I say, yeah, go ahead. I mean, there can't be that many people per year that get hit by a train. Like, I mean, it's, it's got to be less than 10 is what I said, right? Right. Well, then I assume you went and Googled this. We did. It was bothering you. What, we did. What was the answer? Over 6,000 accidents where cars get hit by trains per year in the United States alone. And so will this now prompt you to look both ways before you cross? I mean, that is a lot <laughs> of cars being hit by trains. And I, I was amazed. I mean, if you think about it. What? You know, you have that little arm, the black and white arm with the flashing lights. You would think lights. that would come down. Though. The technology probably hasn't evolved in 30 years. Fair point. And who's doing life cycle maintenance right, right, right. on this technology? No, for sure. But even if there was a malfunction in the <laughs> uh-huh. gate things that come down and say, hey, there's a train coming. Right. There's also a train coming Fair. with lights and <laughs> horns that are as loud as <laughs> the trumpets of heaven. Not subtle is what you're saying. Not subtle. And yet over 6,000. That's shocking. It's amazing. Well, it's amazing. And please start looking both ways, I, Michael. Yes. So this has been hopefully a successful, the more you know, <laughs> and you will not be like me moving forward. And you've learned something. You've learned something about safety and, and that's in a roundabout way about health. Well, right? today we're going to learn something about diet and health and nutrition because we've got on registered dietitian and nutritionist, Laura Legos. Yeah. And not only is she dietitian, nutritionist, she is sassy. <laughs> According to her handle. <laughs> she so, is sassy. Uh, I better be on my A game because I am uh, I'm sensitive to sass. But when she says sassy, I think she means she just kind of tells it like it is. I mean, if you've followed her on social media or you've been to her website, she really just, just she gives you the facts, man. That's it. Which I, uh, I do appreciate people who tell it like it is. Mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of straight shooters. Just as the they facts, say. ma'am. Right. So, you know, give me the brass tacks. <laughs> How many of these are we doing? <laughs> All of them. Okay. Yeah, she's no nonsense and That's no right. hype. Right, yeah. Yeah. Somebody who would certainly call a spade a spade <laughs> and, and not something other than a spade. Because well, that would not be straight shooting. No. Let's it not would call, not be the brass tacks to call some a spade, right. not a spade. Well, let's not, when it is a, obviously a spade. Don't call a spade. Let's call Laura Legos. Hey Patty. 
What? Did you know we have Laura Legos? Oh, <laughs> did I know? I know, right? <laughs> so let me tell you a little bit about Laura Legos. Laura Legos is a registered dietitian nutritionist with a bachelor's degree in nutrition sciences from Cornell University and an MBA from Dominican University. Through her online platforms, The Sassy Dietitian, Laura debunks health myths by giving people a safe space to learn and ask questions about nutrition. She works with clients one-on-one, and being a CrossFit Level 2 trainer, she works with gyms and groups to help them improve their nutrition using a balanced, real food approach. And with that, can't wait to Welcome, talk to you. Thank you so much. Laura. Thanks for having me, guys. Well, we're yeah. so glad to have you. And I think a good place to start is, you know, what interested you in nutrition science and made you choose nutrition as a career? How did you arrive there? Um, I feel like it was all serendipitous. Like, I, it chose me. I didn't choose it. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was a swimmer, and I swam all through college. And I feel like that was really what piqued my interest because I wanted to know how I, like, selfishly wanted to know how I could fuel myself better um, because it was nothing that we was ever talked about. And so I went into school as a biology major, literally found out week one that everyone as a bio major was looking to be pre-med. So they were looking mm-hmm. to become doctors or get PhDs. And I was like, um, wait a minute, like where's the fun labs and, and right. other things that I can do with science. Mm -hmm. And so someone was like, you should take nutrition 101. Um, It might be more practical for you. Um, And so I took that class and I fell in love with it. And I just love that I could talk about food for a career. And I was Mm -hmm. like, this is this is something I can do forever. Mm. Um, and so that's really where it started. I, I didn't even mean to, I just I was interested in like, I told people what I was interested in, which is food and and fitness and um, athletics and all of that. And then I took the class and I learned, you know, how the Krebs cycle worked and I was, yeah. I was hooked. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Which it's awesome because it takes a certain person to look at the Krebs cycle the Krebs and be cycle. like, that's right. my bag, baby. Right. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so when I, when I look at metabolism, I'm like, this is fascinating. And like, that's why I think it's so funny when people talk about metabolism as if they understand it, because I'm like, are you aware of how much happens right. with one's metabolism? Like, I don't need, I think I know the bare minimum right. and mm. I studied it. Right. So like, you know nothing. <laughs> right. Right. Well, you know, also, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't ask you where the name Sassy Dietitian Hmm. comes from. So explain that a little bit for the audience. Yeah, honestly, people now call me Sassy, like even my close friends. When people call me Laura, I'm like, who? Who is that? I'm like, oh, that's my given name. Um, I got it. So I I worked as a dietitian in a hospital when I first moved to Albany, New York, which is where I am now. Um, and I was not a dietitian that just, you know, went by the guidelines. Mm. I asked a lot of questions and I gave a lot of flack. Um, I made friends with the doctors and the nurses and they all knew me. They knew, Oh, here comes the dietitian. Like she's going to tell us what we're doing wrong or what we're saying wrong or what we need to do. Um, and so I feel like that kind of came that that was part of it. And then I was also at a CrossFit gym at the time and, that's just like my personality is I feel like I'm just very like spirited and sarcastic and fun and punchy. <laughs> and I asked around a bunch of friends, like what are three, cause I was looking to start a business. I'm like, what are three um, adjectives that you would use to describe me? Which is a very interesting exercise. <laughs> you, you gotta be, careful. That. You gotta be careful with right. that question. So true. <laughs> like you're not sure what you're going to get. Um, <laughs> and sassy came up and I was like, love it. Like it just, it felt like me. It felt like who I was and everybody 
who hears it is like, oh yeah, that's sassy. Like that's just my name now because that's just who I am. Um, And so it stuck. I kind of just picked it at the time. I was like, well, I just need, I just wanted a a business name Mm -hmm. because I wanted a space where I could write blog posts and share recipes before, you know, social media was big. And um, I was like, yeah, let's try it. The sassy dietitian. Like if I hate it, who cares? Like I'll change it. And then Mm -hmm. I never changed it. And I think I'm seven, eight years in at this point. We love it. And it's catchy and memorable. So I'm glad you chose it. (laughs) Well, let's jump in here a little bit to some clinical things. You know, the holidays are coming and the word diet makes people cringe. And we know that there are a lot of people out there who have unhealthy relationships to food. So where do you start in changing mindset with clients and how do you navigate the word diet to patients? So I actually like to think of diet as a noun and not a verb. I think that diet culture has made it so that we go on a diet, we diet as opposed to we eat a diet. Mm-hmm. And all of us eat a diet. Mm-hmm. Like I hate that it gets such a bad reputation, but mm-hmm. a diet is nothing more than the food that we habitually consume. Mm-hmm. And so everyone's diet is going to look different, even if you live in the same household, even if you're in the same family. Um, and so I think sometimes just flipping that script and understanding that like we all are on diets, We all have, I I shouldn't say all, we all have diets. We're not on diets. Mm -hmm. We all eat food habitually. We don't need to restrict food. And so that's like the first place that I normally work with people. Mm -hmm. Most people come to me and they've been on diet, on diets, the verb for years and years and years. And so the first thing we're learning is just a cue into our body of like, how are we feeling? What feels good? What, what do I want to eat? Um, and a lot of times we do a lot of undoing before we even look to, cause everyone says like, I want to lose weight. Everyone comes to me at some point and says, I want to lose five pounds. I want to lose 10 pounds. I want to lose 20 pounds. And a lot of times I don't hear that. What I hear is I'm unhappy with my relationship with food and my body mm, yeah. and something else is going on. And weight is the only thing that I can cling to. Cause it's the only thing I've ever been taught that I have to cling to, to mm. health. And weight is just one metric of health. It's not the metric of health. And so we start unraveling that and understanding, like, why do you feel like you need to lose weight? And it's mostly because they've been underfeeding themselves for so long. It's not to say that they're not eating enough calories, because if they weren't, they would lose weight. But it's just to say that they're just like constantly thinking of how can I eat less? How can I cut this? How can I cut that? As opposed to how can I nourish myself? How can I fuel myself? And so we like, I just like to flip the script on a lot of this and make it a more positive and enjoyable experience because food is fun. Food mm-hmm. is delicious. Like we should enjoy our food and our diets. We shouldn't feel like it's a chore or something that we have to restrict or, you know, feel bad about or shame about um, or guilt about. That's, yeah, that's, that's excellent. Yeah, Yeah. I love that way of looking at it, especially from the standpoint of uh, what you said about people kind of being undernourished and that has nothing to do with their actual true calorie intake. I think that that there's so much truth in that. Um, And and with that, I guess, you know, based on the standard American diet and, and maybe even people who think that they're eating quote unquote healthy diets as well, you know, we oftentimes get this question as clinicians about nutritional needs being met, or do we need things like multivitamins and additional supplementation, even on top of a quote unquote healthy diet? So what are your thoughts on that? Oh, I definitely think that it's impossible to get every, sorry, my dog, (laughs) the person working from home. Um, I just feel like there's no perfect diet. So it doesn't matter how healthy you are, you're probably always going to be lacking something. Mm -hmm. Um, And it would be great if we could get everything from our our 
food, but most people could benefit from supplementation. However, that's not the first line of defense. For most people, they can improve what's already going on their plates. Most people aren't eating enough protein. Most people are not eating enough fruits or vegetables. Um, there's a FedEx truck here. Of course, so I was <laughs> going to say it. I was totally going to say it. We know it's always the, the, the package delivery. <laughs> always. And my dog is losing it. Thinking well, that, I mean, the packages are dangerous, right? Let's face it. <laughs> Got to like, protect you. Pr- <laughs> protecting you from the package. Uh, the package is very dangerous. Um, so I do think that supplementation is necessary for probably everybody if you, if you really want the truth. But not everybody is ready for supplementation. Everyone is normally ready for some type of change within their current diet. So, you know, a lot of people come to me and they're not having a single source of protein in their breakfast. They're not, they're not eating breakfast. You know, they're not eating enough on their dinner plate. They don't have, you know, a single color on their plate. So they're not getting any fruits or vegetables or fiber. And so I think that most people want that tangible takeaway when they come to see a dietitian, right? Like at the doctor, you get lab work or a prescription. Um, when you go to the store, you buy something and you can take it home. And a lot of people want that tangible takeaway. So I think sometimes giving a supplement or two is also helpful to say, okay, you need to eat more fruits and vegetables and protein and take a magnesium. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's hard, you know, I think that we can't out supplement a diet that's deficient in a lot of nutrients. We can certainly supplement it, which is what it's meant for, but we can't just completely undo everything, which I see a lot in people as they're just like, okay, tell me what I need to take. And I'm like, well, we'll get there. But can we also work on what you're eating and drinking or not eating and drinking? That's really well said. Yeah, That's important information. Well, on that note, and in that same vein, we know that there are people who do become entrenched in their specific diet camps. And so we thought maybe we could hit on some of the major pitfalls people encounter with some of these quote unquote, fad diets. And what are your quick thoughts on them? You know, kind of like a fad diet round robin with Laura Legos. So <laughs> the lightning round let's of fad start diets. with, let's start with the ever popular ketogenic diet. Do you have specific concerns about the keto diet? Oh, yes. Keto diet is a, a therapeutic diet. It's meant, it was meant for those who had epilepsy. So seizures. And it was never meant to be a cure. It was meant to help reduce the seizures in that population. And what happened is people said, oh, well, if I do this, I actually can lose weight. And so people just take things and run with it out of context. And so I don't like the diet as a verb. Um, I think it's totally necessary for a certain population. I also think it could work for people outside that population, but for the majority of people, it's not going to be sustainable. Most people aren't actually in a ketogenic state. So they end up just being low carb, but their body's still looking for carbs to be burned. So they're not burning the ketones, which is the point of a ketogenic diet. Um, And so I think that it's just, you miss the whole point. And if you're just doing it for weight loss, I think you can actually do more harm than good because when you're eating carbohydrates, it pulls water into the cells. And so when you're not eating carbohydrates, you can lose water weight really quickly. And then what happens is that your body starts trying to function on bare minimum and your hormones and your metabolism get all out of whack. And we have to then undo that. So then people say, well, when I start eating carbs again, I gain weight. So obviously ketogenic diet worked. And I'm like, well, obviously it didn't. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. if you couldn't sustain your weight at, you know, when you added some carbs back then it wasn't working for you. Mm. And so, you know, I, I think that we just need to understand and stop abusing certain diets. This was meant for a certain population. It's not meant for the whole population. Um, and most of us do better while eating carbohydrates and carbohydrates aren't 
bad. It's just, we also tend to swing the other way and, you know, misuse them as well. And so it's understanding what carbs can I use for my diet and for my health to benefit, you know, my optimal health. Yeah. yeah, that orthorexia is very tricky when people start becoming obsessed with their food. Well, that's certainly part of it. But I think that that really interesting point that you made was that which can be undone so easily when you go off that particular quote unquote diet is kind of indicative of like maybe you're not creating a long term shift that you think right, you're creating. Right. right? Um, but well, uh, let's this is going to get a little contentious, perhaps. <laughs> no. But, so like I'm thinking we'll about see. the movie Game Changers, which has really gotten a, a big spotlight around vegetarianism, veganism. Um, and as an athlete yourself, what are your thoughts on that slant uh, about vegetarian vegan diets and uh, especially how, how appropriate it is for athletes? I love when they use athletes because then it's like, everyone's like, Oh, well, if it was bad for an athlete, then it's bad for me. If it's good for an athlete, it's good for me. Like, (laughs) you know, there's some prominent athletes right now pushing a supplement on Instagram so hard. And I'm just like, listen, yes, maybe the supplement is good for some people, but just because your favorite athlete is using it doesn't mean that you need to use it as well. Mm -hmm. Like, A does not always equal B. And we have to understand like who actually needs a supplement, who can benefit. And also when you look at an athlete who has made it to an elite level, there's genetics and hard work and a lot of other things coming into play that has absolutely nothing to do with their diet and their nutrition and their supplements. Like I have worked with elite athletes and some of them literally do nothing and they're amazing. Uh So like, (laughs) I'm not saying it can't help them with that 1%, but like, they're going to be amazing no matter what they do. They could eat McDonald's every day and they're still probably going to be amazing because they just have that genetic potential and that hard work and the experience and the hours under their belt. Mm -hmm. So there's that whole issue. And then the whole vegetarian vegan issue, I just feel like one game changers was very Mm one-sided. There was another one too recently that was about fishing and I forget the name of that one as well. And that was also very one-sided. And I, I would just like to see those movies incorporate people from the other side. Like, why aren't we talking to those who incorporate more meat and are the farmers and people, the regenerative, you know, who are doing regenerative agriculture? Like, why aren't we talking to the other side of it and understanding that? Because I think in Game Changers, like there was no standard of like quality of meat that was being assessed. Mm -hmm. Like, was it a McDonald's burger or was it someone actually preparing a home cooked meal using grass fed meat? Like, where is the standard there? Um, So that I think it just gives us one sided slant. And because that you're, you're using athletes and doctors in this documentary, people are like, well, the doctor said it was true. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it was one doctor or multiple doctors, they have their own brand and they push a vegan agenda. Right. Right. So to me, I'm like, they're not, they're not unbiased. And Mm -hmm. so obviously dig a little bit deeper and understanding why are they promoting the vegan diet and vegetarian diet? What, what, do they have to gain from it? Which Mm -hmm. unfortunately is like, they had a lot to gain from it. And doctors receive maybe one course of nutrition, if any. Right. Right. And so like, who are they to be telling people what to eat and to study and all this stuff? So there's a lot wrong, Mm -hmm. I think with these documentaries. And from what I've heard, I think that people at Netflix are very biased towards a vegan or vegetarian life, the hires up. And Mm -hmm. so if you look a lot, a lot of the documentaries on there on food, there's a ton leaning towards a vegan and vegetarianism. And so to me, I'm like, where's the other side? Give us the other side. Like when we're looking at science, we should be looking at all avenues. We shouldn't just be looking at one narrow scope. So, um, 
I think that's sad. And then to use doctors and athletes, I think then just clouds people's vision because we're told to trust doctors and we're told to, you know, idolize athletes. And so now all of a sudden well, we must do what they say. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and the other piece is literature that they cite is oftentimes not the best literature or very one-sided and there's literature to support both sides, but it's not cited. So I think there's a lot of that as well because people say, oh, that's what the science says, but that's the only science you were shown. Totally. Yeah. And it's like, where's the other side of it? I think that's every time I watch one of those documentaries, I'm like, I can see how someone falls down this rabbit hole and believes it. I can totally see it. If you're uneducated and you're just like, well, the science, the doctor, the athletes, like, of course, they're using every avenue to tell you exactly what you think you need to hear. But there's always another side. And there's also then the individual like we, you know, in science, it's sometimes hard to control for every variable. So Mm -hmm. what's to say that those individuals weren't you know, predisposed for whatever genetic reason to be, you know, more, I guess, apt for a vegan or vegetarian diet. Right. 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 Absolutely. I mean, I think anytime we're trying to extrapolate one routine from a diet perspective to a population, we're going to run into trouble. And the, the mere fact of trying to isolate, you know, one or two athletes and pin them up as being mm-hmm. like the example for all people, um, right. that, that right. doesn't, that doesn't make a lot of sense, but I agree. totally agree. Yeah, I get that. And and it's hard too, right? Because that type of approach, you, there's a moral component too. Mm-hmm. How do you stay unbiased when you're talking about animals and eating? Like, I think a lot, most people would be like, yeah, you know, I mean, if, if we could get all of our nutrition and blah, 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 like, you know, killing animals, like it's not like my, I, I'm not a huge fan of that, but it's kind of part of what we do as a species, right? <laughs> yeah. And with every action, there's a reaction, right? So like, without you killing the animals, then what else is happening down the chain of life? Like, I think we also have to look at that too. And I'm, I agree. Like I love my dog. I love animals, but at the same time there, you know, this is how it's always been. And like, there's the circle of life and you know, the food chain. And if you're not going to kill the animals, like what's to, to say that nature won't take care of nature and what's to say that it won't cause an effect on, you know, something else. So I think it's, you know, I don't know, to me, it makes sense, but I understand how you can get down this whole rabbit hole of like, Oh, well, it's, you know, how, how terrible to kill all the animals. And I think then it becomes to me, instead of it becoming all or nothing, it becomes, okay, how can we do this better? Mm -hmm. Right. That's where I think the education and the knowledge and the money needs to go of not, okay, well, killing animals is awful. So we're just going to eat a vegan diet, which then causes, you know, more issues because we have to produce, you know, there it's, it's a lot of energy intensive to produce all the soy and soy products and Mm -hmm. whatever. So there's a whole nother issue on that side. So instead, how can we say, how can we do it better? How can we do all of it better? How can we get more, you know, vegan vegetarian options? And how can we also get more meat products out there that are raised more humanely, killed more humanely and are healthier overall? I mean, that's the discussion I'd like. Exactly. Exactly. And that separates the moral argument from the scientific argument. And Mm -hmm. because I think we're all on board with the moral argument part of it. Right. right? Which is what you're Mm -hmm. saying. So totally. totally. Yeah. But as it relates to other types of diets, I know that intermittent fasting and restrictive eating has become pretty big. Are you a proponent of either of those? Uh, It always depends. (laughs) There's a heavy sigh, Laura. (laughs) Don't um, go against the grade. We're all doing intermittent <laughs> fasting. Patty and I did it four times today. Uh, right. I mean, I did it in my sleep last night. That's I don't right. know about you guys. But I feel like I'm really good, good at, at it. it in my sleep. All the cool kids are doing it. Uh, but yeah, I just like, 
I, I'm not a proponent of it. I don't like to say, hey, client, you need to fast. Are there times when it makes sense? Yes. If we're having digestive issues and the digestion needs some rest, yes, it can be helpful. If we're traveling across country and we have IBS and eating before a flight is going to make us have to use the bathroom, fasting probably makes sense. If we have a holiday and we're religious, like, yes, that makes sense. So it's not to say that like fasting is going to completely harm you, but fasting intentionally all the time in a, a means as a way to lose weight and not focus on your hunger cues and not focus on anything else can be detrimental to your overall health and well-being. And so I never just recommend it outright because most of us don't do well with constant or aggressive fasting. Mm -hmm. But once again, like, yeah, you're fasting between meals. It's most of us are not eating 24 seven, 365. We eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner, maybe a snack or two, and we sleep. Right. And mm -hmm. sleeping is normally most people stop eating, you know, between seven and eight. And then, and I'm not saying you have to stop eating at eight. Like I also hate that narrative, but like, say you had dinner, a snack, you're done at eight. And then you wake up around seven and you're eating again at eight, that's 12 hours. Mm -hmm. Like you're technically doing a 12 hour fast without even meaning to. Mm -hmm. And that's normal. Mm -hmm. What's not normal is saying, okay, well it's 8 PM. I'm starving, but because I'm fasting for 12 hours, I can't eat again until 8 AM. And you wake up famished, tired, and all you can do is reach for coffee. And now you're just causing other stress issues to happen in your body, as opposed to saying, wow, I'm hungry. I should eat. Mm -hmm. Like we, we just start like it, a lot of these diets, what happens is we start or we've learned to not trust ourselves. And a lot of my clients come to me and that's what they say. They, they basically don't trust their bodies or their instincts anymore because they've been taught to not. That's Diet culture has taught them true. to not trust themselves anymore. That's well, so why true. listen to your body when you have a brain? No, but that's really right. true. Like there's such a disconnect between hunger cues and, and what right. you feel in your body these days because we're just following a strict plan. So that's really important. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's and there's great. a time and a place for, you know, for if you're having issues with, you know, certain disease processes or, you know, weight is truly hindering health, then yes, of course, there can be a reason and a time for, restriction and dieting. Like I hate to say that that's never, there's never a place for it, mm -hmm. but if you're using it and abusing it and you never listen to yourself and you never trust yourself, like we got to get off that hamster wheel. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And that's where I think about matching the intervention to the, the disease process, right? Like the, the greater the amount of dysfunction and disease, the higher force intervention you're going to use. And that's periodic because as you're walking back the chronic disease, you're hopefully lowering the force of the intervention and you're turning it into something a little bit more normal. That's consistent long-term, I guess. So totally. And like, we'll use things like tracking with my clients. And I always tell them, I'm like, tracking is not some, it's not a ball and chain. It's not something that needs to be forever. It's a tool in your toolbox. Mm -hmm. It's the hammer when you, you have a nail that needs to be hammered in. Mm -hmm. Not when you know you need to, I don't know, sweep the floor. You're not going to hammer the floor. Like we need to really understand like, what are these tools used for? When are they needed? And when are they no longer needed? Because like, if we're constantly in a deficit or we're constantly tracking and stressing our body out, like we're probably doing more harm than good at that point. So it's, it's truly understanding the individual and what they need, what tools they need and for how long. And, you know, that's hard too, but that's where we, we've stopped listening to our bodies. So mm -hmm. we can't even tell. Right. No, it's, it's fat. Yeah, it's a great point. I mean, and then speaking of listening to your body. Yeah. So intuitive eating is something that I've heard this topic. Um, what is intuitive eating? 
intuitive eating is, I think it's now becoming more of a catchphrase and it's becoming more used more as a diet. And it was never meant to be a diet. It's a, a whole concept of eating of like how we're supposed to nourish our body and listening to our hunger cues and eating when we're hungry and not when we're not um, respecting what our body craves and all of that. So the principles are amazing. The application is where it gets lost in translation, mm. which as you can tell with a lot of these, it's the same exact thing, right? Like mm-hmm. ketogenic right. diet, the, the actual diet, there's sound information there and research, but when it was applied to everybody, of course it got abused. And same with intuitive eating. Like I think even Noom is using it now mm. and it's like, wait a minute, you're a restrictive diet company. Like that doesn't, that doesn't match up. So mm-hmm. I think the principles of intuitive eating are really great. It's just a matter of how it's um, taught and applied mm-hmm. and it shouldn't be abused. It should not be as a weight loss it, uh, program. It should not be used as a diet. It's literally supposed to just be here's principles of, of how to help you learn how to fuel your body and listen to your body and trust your body. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. That makes sense. That it's really sense. interesting. Well, tell us about your platform and your website, The Sassy Dietitian, which we're going to encourage our, all of our listeners to check out. But what will they find when they go there? Um, basically, I'm my goal is to debunk all the myths out there, cut through all the BS of diet culture and nutrition and now influencers and all of that, mm-hmm. and just give practical information on how to fuel your body without judgment or shame. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I know I'm sassy, but like my goal is not to judge or shame you. My goal is to just educate you and empower you. So that way, you know, you can clean up your, your Instagram feed and understand like who's there, who should I be following? Who should I not, you know, and, and listen to your body again and trust your body again. Yeah. And it's all sprinkled in with, I'm a new mom. So I've been really sharing my journey with that too, because I just don't think there's enough information out there for postpartum women. You know, the rhetoric is right. like time to bounce back. That's right. And i I hate that. Mm-hmm. And I, I want to share my side of things too. Never, I never thought I was going to go that route, but I work with mostly women. And so I want to just kind of educate them and meet them where they're at and understand that like your body needs so much more than bouncing back. It needs nourishment from mental health to physical health to supplements and all the things. In between. Yeah, for sure. For I will sure. say I, I've read just about all of your blogs on the mm-hmm. sassy dietitian and they're phenomenal. It's great information told Thank in a very you. sassy way, which is awesome. <laughs> so we're so Lives grateful. Up. We're Lives so grateful to, to you. Thank you so much for spending time. But before we let you go, we do have one last question that I'm going to kick to Michael. Oh yeah. So, okay. Um, <laughs> I have a question for it's you. It's a this silly is, one. It's a, yeah, it's not a sassy question. It's a silly question <laughs> and it's, uh, it's called the fireball. So do you, how do you feel about karaoke? And if you like karaoke, do you have a song that you did? Um, I haven't done karaoke in years. My friends and I like to play rock band. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I only do the vocals because I literally cannot figure out how to do any of the instruments. (laughs) So if that's the same thing, I do lit. What's the word? My own worst enemy. (laughs) (laughs) And every time it comes on, everyone's like, sassy. And I'm like, that's fine. Nice. Well, very much uh, congratulations on everything. Thank you so much for all the work and and the information that you're putting out. And congratulations on being a new mom. That's fantastic. So um, thank you. And thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. You know, what's really funny to me is like we have this phrase now, intuitive eating, Mm -hmm. which like we had to we had to create something that you put parentheses around two scientific sounding words. In essence, to say you're feeling hunger. I think I want to eat. Exactly. Right. Yeah. 
That's what we do. <laughs> do I need like intuitive drinking? <laughs> intuitive breathing. <laughs> That's pretty good. Or for you, intuitive cleaning. <laughs> well, to be honest, I'm obsessed with cleaning, but it's not intuitive to a lot of people. Why are you looking at me? No reason. Stop looking at me. Sorry. Next time on The Lab Report, food, football, and family. Oh, you mean like Thanksgiving? That's right. Aww. Are the Eagles playing on Thanksgiving? No. Lucky for you, huh? So thankful. You've been listening to The Lab Report. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast, rate us, and leave us a review. To learn more about Genova Diagnostics, visit our website at gdx.net. There you'll find information on specific testing, educational resources, and how to connect with our show. Call us at 1-800-522-4762 or email us at podcast at gdx.net. Okay, true or false? Here we go. The Thanksgiving plate is really just a vehicle for gravy. Oh, absolutely true. And who doesn't love gravy? I mean, do you even need a plate? You can just drink it right out of the gravy boat. If I were to tell you, mm-hmm. you we're having Thanksgiving dinner, but we don't have any gravy. Oh, your canceled. Level, <laughs> canceled. Your level of satisfaction for oh, the meal is going to go from what percent to what percent? 100%, 100%. to what? To, mm, oh, maybe I'll give it like 5% because wow. th- there might be pumpkin pie. 95% gravy related. Correct. Tell me you don't love gravy. I do love gravy. Oh. I'm just imagining the pilgrims right now having this big <laughs> meal. Keep your maze. We want the gravy. <laughs> just yeah. just every, everyone's like, oh, <laughs> who forgot the gravy? <laughs>